Hi, everyone. This is Jim Kelly, and you're listening to Free Reads. I'm back with another chapter of Men Are Trouble, written by me and read by the lovely and talented Genevieve Achel. I'm making this available to you for free under a Creative Commons license. If you like what you hear, why not drop a modest gratuity into my PayPal account over on my website, www.jimkelly.net. Or perhaps consider a subscription to my for-pay podcast over on Audible, www.audible.com slash Jim Kelly. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the not-canned portion of the intro. This won't take long. In the intro to Chapter 4, I played an excerpt from a panel I appeared on at Boscone, the annual Boston Science Fiction Convention. We were talking about holding on to ideas while we waited to figure out how they might become stories. And I launched into an anecdote about the writing of my Hugo Award-winning story, 10 to the 16th to 1. While I cut my babbling off at the end of the anecdote for your listening pleasure last time, at the con I continued on with another example of an idea that I had for several years before I figured out the story to go with it. Here's what I said. Uh, one more thing is that I, I'm a big fan of Raymond Chandler, and so I was re- rereading Raymond Chandler for the hundredth time, and I, for some reason I just wrote, wrote this title down, Men Are Trouble. And that <laughs> Men Are Trouble title was sitting on my bulletin board for four years before I realized what story went with that title. And, uh, um, and so this happens all the time. I think writers do accumulate these ideas, and you know right away whether it's an idea that you have the talent to write, but sometimes you don't yet know whether the story is there that you need to attach to the idea. Also, last time I forgot to credit and thank Michael Matthew, the longtime New England fan and Kelly supporter, who recorded the panel and sent me the MP3 so that I could share it with you. Thanks, Michael. That's all. Let's get back to the matter at hand, shall we? Men Are Trouble by James Patrick Kelly. Five. I didn't go to my office after I locked my bike to the rack on Market Street. Instead, I went to find George. He was stripping varnish from the beadboard wainscoting in Donna Belasco's old office on the fifth floor. Donna's office had been vacant since last fall when she had closed her law practice and gone south to count waves at Daytona Beach. At least that's what I hoped she was doing. The last I'd heard from her was a Christmas card. I missed Donna. She was one of the few grannies who tried to understand what it was like to grow up the way we did, and she had been generous about steering work my way. Hey, George, I said, you can tell your boss that I found the ring. This one offers the congratulations. The arm holding the brush froze over the can of stripper as he swiveled his head to face me. You have proved true superiority, Faye. George had done a good job maintaining our building since coming to us a year ago, although he had something against wood grain. We had to stop him from painting over the mahogany paneling in the foyer. I hated to close the door, but this conversation needed some privacy. So I've set up a meeting. The stink of the varnish stripper was barbed wire up my nose. Father Elaine Horvath will be here at six. George said nothing. Trying to read a bot is like trying to read a refrigerator. I assumed that he was relaying this information to Siren. Would the devil be displeased that I had booked its meeting into my office? Siren is impressed by your speedy accomplishment, George said at last, 
Credit has been allotted to this one for suggesting it task you. Great, take ten bucks a month off my rent. Just so you know, I promised Father Elaine she'd be safe here. Siren is not going to make a liar out of me, is it? Siren rejects violence. It's a regrettable technique. Yeah, but if Siren disappears into wherever, does that count? George's head swiveled back toward the wainscoting. Father Elaine Horvath will be invited to leave freely if such is her intention. The brush dipped into the can. Was Kate Vermeil also found? No, I said. I looked, but then Father Elaine found me. By the way, she didn't live at 465 12th Avenue. Siren had otherwise information. The old varnish bubbled and sagged where George had applied stripper. Such error makes a curiosity. It was a little thing, but it prickled at me as I walked down to the third floor. Was I pleased to discover that the devils were neither omnipotent nor infallible? Not particularly. For all their crimes against humanity, the devils and their bots were pretty much running our world now. It had been a small if bitter comfort to imagine that they knew exactly what they were doing. I passed Crazy Martha's door, which was open, on the way to my office. She called. I backtracked. My neighbor was at her desk, wearing her Techno-Pro gas mask, which she claimed protected her from chlorine, hydrogen sulfide, sulfur dioxide, ammonia, bacteria, viruses, dust, pollen, cat dander, mold spores, nuclear fallout, and sexual harassment. Unfortunately, it also made her almost unintelligible. Try that again, I said. You've got company working. Who is it? She shook the mask and shrugged. The light of her desktop was reflected in the faceplate. I could see numbers swarming like black ants across the rows and columns of a spreadsheet. What's with the mask? We had a devil in the building. Really, I said. When? Morning. There was no reason why a devil shouldn't come into our building. No law against having one for a client. But there was an accusation in Martha's look that I couldn't deny. Had I betrayed us all by taking the case? She said, Hate devils. Yeah, I said, me too. I opened my door and saw that it was Sharifa who was waiting for me. She was trying on a smile that didn't fit. Hi, Faye, she said. She looked as elegant as always and as weary as I had ever seen her. She was wearing a peppered black linen dress and black dress sandals with thin crossover straps. Those weren't doctor shoes. They were pull down the shades and turn up the music shoes. They made me very sad. As I turned to close the door, she must have spotted the patch of blood that had dried in my hair. You're hurt! I had almost forgotten about it. There was no percentage in remembering that I was in pain. She shot out of her chair. What happened? I slipped in the shower, I said. Let me look. I tilted my head toward her and she probed the lump gently. You could have a concussion. P.I.s don't get concussions. Says so right in the license. Sit, she said. Let me clean this up. I'll just run to the bathroom for some water. I sat and watched her go. I thought about locking the door behind her, but I deserved whatever I had coming. I opened the bottom drawer of the desk, slipped two plastic cups off the stack, and brought Johnny Walker in for a consultation. Sharifa bustled through the doorway with a cup of water in one hand and a fistful of paper towels in the other, but caught herself when she saw the bottle. When did this start? Just now. I picked up my cup and slugged two fingers of black label scotch. Want some? I don't know, she said. Are we having fun or are we self-medicating? I let that pass. She dabbed at the lump with a damp paper towel. I could smell her perfume, lemon blossoms on a summer breeze and just the smallest bead of sweat. Her scent got along nicely with the liquid smoke of the scotch. She brushed against me and I could feel her body beneath her dress. 
At that moment, I wanted her more than I wanted to breathe. Sit down, I said. I'm not done yet, she said. I pointed at a chair. Sit, damn it. She dropped the paper towel in my trash as she went by. You asked me a question this morning, I said. I should have given you the answer. I had the abortion last week. She studied her hands. I don't know why. They weren't doing anything. They were just sitting in her lap, minding their own business. I told you when we first got together, that's what I'd do when I got seated, I said. I know. I just didn't see any good choices, I said. I know the world needs children, but I have a life to lead. Maybe it's a rude, pointless, dirty life, but it's what I have. Being a mother, that's someone else's life. I understand, said Sharifa. Her voice was so small it could have crawled under a thimble. It's just, it was all so sudden. You told me, and then we were fighting, and I, I didn't have time to think things through. I got tested in the morning. I told you that afternoon. I wasn't keeping anything secret. She folded her arms against her chest as if she were cold. And when I get seated, what then? You'll do what's best for you. She sighed. Pour me some medication, would you? I poured scotch into both cups, came around the desk, and handed Sharifa hers. She drank, held the whiskey in her mouth for a moment, and then swallowed. Say I... The corners of her mouth were twitchy, and she bit her lip. Your mother told me once that when she realized she was pregnant with you, she was so happy, so happy. It was when everything was crashing around everyone. She said you were the gift she needed to... not to... I got the gift, lecture Sharifa, too many times. She made the devil sound like Santa Claus, or the stork. She glanced down as if surprised to discover that she was still holding the cup. She drained it at a gulp and set it on my desk. I'm a doctor. I know they do this to us, I just wish I knew how. But it isn't a bad thing. Having you in the world can't be a bad thing. I wasn't sure about that, but I kept my opinion to myself. Sometimes I feel like I'm trying to carry water in my hands, but it's all leaking out and there's nothing I can do to stop it. She started rubbing her right hand up and down her left forearm. People keep killing themselves. Maybe it's not as bad as it used to be, but still, the birth rate is barely at replacement levels. Maybe we're doomed. Did you ever think that? That we might go extinct? No. Sharifa was silent for a long time. She kept rubbing her arm. It should have been me doing your abortion, she said at last. Then we'd both have to live with it. I was one tough P.I., I kept a bottle of scotch in the bottom drawer and had a devil for a client. Tommy's whacked me with nightsticks and pumped knockout spray into my face. But even I had a breaking point, and Dr. Sharifa Ramirez was pushing me up against it hard. I wanted to pull her into my arms and kiss her forehead, her cheeks, her graceful neck. But I couldn't give in to her that way. Not now, anyway. Maybe never again. I had a case, and I needed to hold the best part of myself in reserve until it was finished. I'll be in charge of the guilt, Sharifa, I said. You be in charge of saving lives. I came around the desk. I've got work to do, so you go home now, sweetheart. I kissed her on the forehead. I'll see you there. Easier to say than to believe. This is Jim Kelly, and you've been listening to the Free Reads Podcast. Check in again next week for more of Men Are Trouble. <laughs>